If you have your Bibles today, turn with me to Romans chapter 7, uh, reading verses 21 through 24. 21 through 24. I find then the principle, the principle that you need to be aware of. Hmm. A principle is not a theory, it is not suggesting it's a law, an idea, a principle, that it's, it's just there. And uh, when I was reading the scripture, that it grabbed my attention. Now, for those of you that are not Bible scholars, you, you need to know that Romans is written by Paul. And Paul is a, uh, has at this moment, has been baptized in the name of Jesus. He's been filled with the Spirit, all those things that are, are relevant to our salvation. He's walking with God. He is called an apostle. And he is an author of 12 or 13 of your books. And it was interesting to me that he would write this. That I find this principle. I find this policy. I find this fact. That evil is present in me. Wow. Wow. In my apostle, in my letter writer, the one that has that we quote so much and we read so much of his 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 writings, and so much of them are so imperative to so much of our Christian growth, that he would say, "Evil is it present in me?" Kind of overwhelming. If uh, your neighbor sitting there next to you turned and said, evil's in present in me, I, you know, probably during offering, I would have got up and moved to another chair. That they would make this admission that evil is present in me. Don't want it to get on me. It's, you know, sort of like those cootie things. They're easily transferable. The one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body. Waging war against the law of my mind. Conflict is within you as a Christian. And making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Here I am, I the author of epistles. I am saved by God's grace and I have, a, I have sin which is in my members. And he says this of himself, O wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Verse 22. Is that the whole thing? That's all of it. Thank you, Sam. That's what I get when I give you lots of time to make it look good. This principle here of evil being inside of us. And being called a wretched man brings me to this thought this morning. The most dangerous man in the world. The most dangerous man in the world. For the past few months, we as Americans have watched as our American forces, I'm thankful for those who serve our country, we've watched as they have taken out some of the most dangerous men in the world. Who will ever forget, we just 
came through 9-11-11, a 10-year celebration of that horrific moment in time. We were talking about it while we were away, about events of time that you remember where you were when certain things happened. And it's relevant to your age. I do not remember when Kennedy was shot. But sitting in this room today, there are people that I see as you nod your head that you remember where you were standing, what you were doing. Some of you, many of you were probably in a schoolhouse someplace when across the intercom came the words that the president had been shot. And just a few hours later, his death was announced. You remember where you were, some of you. I was just five and my memory does not hold well in many ways. But I, my parents tell me where I was when Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon. Those different events throughout. I, I remember I was standing in the electronics department of J.C. Penney watching as they... I, I, Space shuttle took off, and it was beautiful, sunny day. The blue skies were were bright, and it was the the flight of Christina McAuliffe. All the attention was on her, and it, it started out just like every other flight had. And then you probably remember, as I do, I could almost take you to the spot in the store when you watched, almost as if it was a movie or something that was. It was so you were so shocked by the moment that you saw the, the explosion and the rain of, of debris begin to fall. I remember where I was at. But probably for the great host of people that are here, the, the single greatest event that you remember is 9-11. As I, I said it, your mind probably instantly took you to the place that, that you were standing or what you were doing. I remember just pulling up the hill of the college and sitting there almost in stunned silence as I listened to those planes flying into the buildings. And then to hear of the evil that was behind it, the men that were involved. And at that moment in my mind, Saddam Hussein and his group of, of cohorts was the most dangerous man in the world. We all feared, didn't we? Planes were leveled and taken down. We, we were afraid to, to move. I was afraid. To, we were afraid to go into office buildings and all kinds of places because we just didn't know. And there was a certain amount of relief when Saddam Hussein was taken out. And we felt there was just a little bit of... The world is a better place because he is gone. And we know that's not true because since then there, the next most evil man in the world was Osama bin Laden. And we got him after many years. And you will probably remember the celebration in the streets of, of Americans as his life was taken. And here just recently, Anwar Akawi was taken out. He was the most dangerous man in the world. And the list goes on and on. You see, there's always going to be there in our our world, as long as evil is present, there's always the most dangerous man in the world. Bring it more locally and last night. I'm always fearful of doing this. But I, as I was doing some final preparation, I, I went to the FBI website. 
I always wonder if the FBI checks up on people who are checking on. Does anybody else think that way? And so I went to look for the 10 most wanted and I was wondering if they were wondering about me looking at them. Messed up that way. Just the way I was made. But I began to look across the list of the most sought after men in America and the, the number of them that were murderers and, and all the crimes that they were involved in. And as I went down the list, Osama bin Laden was on there and it said deceased. And next to another one, James Berger, it said captured. And as I, I looked at the list, I thought, ten most wanted. But when they take those two down, they won't go up to the top of the screen and say, eight most wanted men in America. They will simply replace the two with two more. And then when they catch another five, they'll replace them again and again and again. The most dangerous men in our world, in our country. But I would suggest that this, that if every criminal were caught and eliminated, captured and put away, would you allow me to say this? That the most dangerous man in the world would still be alive. Would still be free. The most dangerous man in the world is not being sought after by the police or the FBI. Uh, the most dangerous man in the world probably has it, cre uh, have, has it done the worst crime. He has probably never murdered or stolen or extorted. Never been in involved in embezzlement or bribery. No, the, the most in dangerous man in the world has none of those in in fact, the, the most dangerous man in the world believes that he is, and he probably is true, he is doing okay in life, that he's live, living a fair and a balanced life. Uh, you would probably see the most dangerous man on the world just walking, in the world, walking down the street. In fact, I know that you would. The most dangerous man in the world has this idea in their minds. That they can make it through life on their own abilities, talents, and skills. The most dangerous man in the world, woman in the world, is a, is a person that can be either knowledgeable or unknowledgeable. They can have high education or no education. They are the most dangerous men and women in the world. The most dangerous man or woman in the world has the idea that God is an alternative That salvation is an option. The most dangerous man or woman in the world. The most dangerous man in the world that I, I want to talk to you about today has the idea or theology or belief or maybe they wouldn't say that but their life action says that heaven or hell is just a mythical place. Uh, not an intellectual idea. Who could actually believe that there is this place where there are streets of gold and, and mansions that are built? 
And really, that's just the simplicity of it all. God trying to tell us that what you value so much in life, your gold and your silver and your wealth, I use for dirt. But the most dangerous man in the world sees gold and silver and money and accomplishments as the the greatest measurement of success. They don't believe that there is a heaven, or if they do believe there's a heaven and a hell, they believe that it takes nothing to get to heaven. And you have to be really bad to go to hell. The most dangerous person in the world believes that they can earn their salvation. That somehow through their works, their accomplishments, through charitable deeds, maybe even that of saving lives, that they can make it to heaven. The most dangerous man in the world. The most dangerous man in the world believes that all you have to do is complete a salvational formula. And your salvation is secure. I hate to disappoint those that believe that all you have to do is to follow the simple plan of salvation. Repent, be baptized, and be filled with the Spirit. And then you can go on with your life and do whatever you want and act however you want and be as unfaithful as you want and still make it to heaven. That is a horrible misconception. The most dangerous man or woman in the world believes that a simple religious life is sufficient, that a relationship with God on a daily basis is unnecessary, is unprofessional, and unimportant. The most dangerous people, men and women in the world, are those people that, that believe that you can reach a certain level in your walk with God, just coast from there on. I've, I've done my part. I helped the church start. I'm a charter member. I'm fifth generation. I've got it all figured out. I know how to look. I know how to dress. I know what to say. I know when the, when the offering is going to be taken, I can coast. The most dangerous person in the world. The most dangerous people in the world are people that believe that regardless of what they do, that they'll somehow still make it into heaven. But I've come to a recognition that those things are not true. And that if I believe that I can make it on the set of criteria that I just took the last five to ten minutes to expound to you, that if somehow if I believe that that criteria that I just set, you know who is the most dangerous man in the world. I will point it towards me. If I somehow have this concept, this principle of life in my mind, I am the most dangerous person in the world. Because I will impact my eternal Direction forever and ever and ever. I am the most dangerous person in the world. 
Now, don't take that wrong and say, oh, the pastor of this church is the most dangerous person in the world. And then somehow exclude yourself. No, what I am saying to each and every one of us here today is that each and every one of us are the most dangerous people in the world. We're more dangerous than Osama bin Laden. We're more dangerous than than Saddam Hussein. We're most endangered, more more dangerous than any of those people that are on the most wanted list because we control our eternal direction. Nobody else sets your eternal direction but you. And so for your eternal security, for the family, for your heritage, for your future, you are the most dangerous person there is. Because the daily decisions that you make, the daily decisions that I make, will determine where I will spend eternity. That forever and ever and ever. And the things that we think that are important. I, I'm not as fearful of, 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 of somebody losing their physical life as I am more concerned where they will spend their eternal destination. And somehow, uh, I, I don't know what has happened to our society, but it's just become laissez-faire, just become easy not to, to worry about our eternal salvation. Do you realize you will spend eternity somewhere? Do not believe. Have you lost your fear Have you lost your reverence for the fact that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to lose? I stand here saying of myself, I realize I am the most dangerous man in the world. And you want to think it's hard. Even as a pastor, it can even be more dangerous. That somehow because I preach and people might come to an altar, I might feel security that's not there. I am one of the most dangerous people that there is in the whole world. Job, a man that we know in Scripture, that that when you open up the, the beginnings of his story and when you would look at his resume, he was somebody that sacrificed daily. He was faithful to the house of God. If I would put my resume up against Job's resume, I, I wouldn't compare. Job sacrificed every day for himself. He was a worshiper. He was a praiser. I see Job as somebody that got to to the to his place of worship early in the morning and he was faithful to it. But not only did Job worship and praise and sacrifice for himself, but he also said, I've got to make sure that my family is right. And he would offer sacrifices for his family, his friends. Evidently, Job's life was so impactive that when trouble become to come his way, friends of his walked into his life and began to talk to him. You don't get people that come into your lives that care about you unless you've done some kind of investing, unless there's some kind of righteousness about you. There was something dynamic about Job. His spiritual being was strong. God said there's no one like Job. But let me submit to you that early on in the book of Job, God knew something about him. That he was one of the most dangerous men in the world at his time. 
at some point in Job's life, he had got secure in his formula of salvation. He had got secure in his worship. At some point, God, he, rather than trusting in the, in the, in the, 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 the act of, of his sacrifice, he got it secure in his actions of doing. You've got to be careful that you don't get ritualistic in what you're doing and lose your relationship with what it's all about. And God began to recognize something in Job's life. This man is becoming dangerous because he's putting him his confidence in his self, in his religious system. And he's not putting his confidence in me. And out of love for the most dangerous man in the world, he begins to let turmoil swirl into Job's life. Family is lost. Wealth is lost. Camels are lost. And, and, and just a couple of chapters. It doesn't take very long for your life to change. Job is brought to a place where he's standing with a few men around him, scraping boils and open sores, and he's trying to figure it out. But so consumed is Job with his own self-righteousness, his his own self-worth, that it takes 37 chapters before Job can figure out something. That I am the most dangerous man in the world. And it doesn't come until Job chapter 40 verse 4. That God finally gets his attention after man tries to speak to him. And God will send men into your life. He sent me as your pastor. He'll send other people into your life trying to turn you, trying to talk to you about your walk with God and how important it is. But there's sometimes you just become the most dangerous person in the world. You can't get past yourself. You can't get past your own, your own qualms, your own fallacies, your own goodness. There's all kinds of ways that you can become the most dangerous man in the world. Job got to that point through his own self-righteousness, his own self-worth, and seeing who he is. And as much as men tried to talk to him, as much as God tried to work through different people, Job could not get to the realization, I am a dangerous man to my own salvation. And finally there is a point. God begins to bear questions to him. Where were you when I created the stars? Where were you when I put the sand at the seas? Where were you when I threw the sun in the sky? Where were you when the, when the animals were put on this earth? And finally, there was a moment in Job's life that he said it in, in, in a little bit different terms. Behold, I am insignificant. But if you go to your King James, it says, Behold, I am a vile man. It took God 37 chapters. I don't know how many months before he finally got Job to say, I am the most dangerous man in the world to my own salvation. And he began to break and he began to repent and begin to tell God, I'm sorry for what I've done. I've become self-righteous. I've become self-sufficient in myself. The most dangerous man in the world. <clears throat> David. My second person that I subject that I bring up to, to you today, you would look at David as a man. The scripture said it well, that he was a man after God's own heart. God sends the prophet over to his home and they go down the, the, the list of young men, all qualified and, and seemed so, so able to, to take the rulership of Israel. 
But God finds David, a man that's sitting out in the pasture, a man from humble beginnings. And he begins to raise him up. He allows him to see that the hand of the Lord is on him. That lion and that bear experience. I, I believe those were moments where he, he realized there is something supernatural. There's something I, I've been honored. I've been blessed by knowing God, by having an anointing. I want to tell some people here, you better not take for granted the anointing and the blessing and the favor that God has given you to be here today. You're just likely to be over in Whitehall or the Bristols sleeping in or going to, to the Colts game or doing something else. But God was kind enough, wonderful enough to send somebody to your house, to send somebody into your life or allow you to be birthed into a home where you could find and know God. And the reason you're here is not because you're so smart, so intelligent, have so much ability. It's just been the grace of God that allows me to stand here. Oh, God. I don't stand it. God, forgive me if I stand in here in any kind of arrogance or pride. I don't stand here because of anything that I've done. I've had favor of God shown to me. I'm here because of this mercy. I'm here because of this compassion. I'm here because of his love for me. It, I could just as soon as be outside and be a dangerous person. But I feel like I'm more dangerous here. David grew up with those, those skills and abilities. He kills the giant and his life takes off. There's that little ebb where he, he runs from Saul. But even there, he is so aware, God is with me. He is so secure in his faith that when he has opportunity to take out the opposition, he could take a spear and drive it through Saul. He says, I will not touch God's anointed. He says, I have so much confidence in God that even though I have opportunity and I have ability to wipe out this man on my own, I will not do it because God can do it on his own. Wouldn't it be something to have a, a walk with God that you had such faith that you didn't worry about tomorrow, that you didn't worry about... Because you just were in that realm with God. David was there. But he too is much like all of us. He became the most dangerous man in the world. I believe I can tell you exactly when it happened. As long as there was struggle and battle and things going on. And he couldn't rely on himself to, to kill the Philistines and the Amorites and all the attacks that's coming. He had to go to his knees and pray. He had to keep himself humble. He had to sacrifice. As long as there was a goal to, to build the house for God, to get the Ark of the Covenant back, as long as spiritual things were a priority in his life, things were well. But there was a moment in his life when it's, the Scripture says there was peace in the land. I hate to tell you sometimes that peace is dangerous. And sometimes when calm is your li in your life, you can become the most dangerous man in the world. At some moment, David lost his appreci appreciation and his awe for God. When it was time, the scripture said, for the kings to go out and do battle. It was time to fight. It was time to be involved. It was time to serve. David said, no. I've accomplished my task. To our seniors here, I love you, respect you. 
But don't ever sit on the laurels of your past. For those 40-some and up, your best days are not behind you. They're ahead of you. There's many of you that can point to great things that you did to help churches, help pastors and ministries. Your best days are still not behind you. You need to have the mindset of Caleb. Give me my next mountain. You need to hunger and thirst for the kingdom of God and those things that are relevant. David got to that point where he lost his hunger for the house of God and the things of God. And he said, I'll just stay back. I've accomplished. I've done enough. And within just hours, I believe, not months, not years, within hours, he finds himself on a rooftop looking down. It's amazing what the adversary can have to tempt you. And it's amazing how you can become the most dangerous person in the world in the matter of moments. Looking down, he sees Bathsheba calls him in. And he finds himself in a place that he should have never been. With a woman that was not his wife. The most dangerous man in the world begins to say, oh, I can fix this by myself. I can fix my salvational needs. I can fix my God needs. No, you can't. No, I can't. I need God. So he begins to scheme and makes the plan and he calls for her husband to come home. And so loyal is this man that he won't even sleep with his wife when they, he is sent to do so. So he sends him out to battle and has him murdered. Covers over the sin and thinks everything's going to be okay. But God still knows that he's the most dangerous man in the world. And a prophet finally comes to him and awakens him and jars him and says, You're dangerous. You're the most dangerous man in the world. You're the lineages at stake. The, the, the promises is at stake. The covenant of God is at stake. If you don't change your way, you cannot rest on what you did yesterday, how you were saved. I don't care if you were saved five days or 30 years ago. You better not rest on your salvation of the past. It is a daily walk with God. You cannot become religious. You've got to stay in relationship with Jesus Christ every single day of your life. He becomes dangerous. He is exposed and he, and he confesses. And I believe that maybe this is the moment that Psalms 8 and 4 is written. Where he says, what is man that you would take thought of him? Or your Old Testament King James says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? At some point he realized, I think in this moment he realized, I am a dangerous man. I can't get confidence that I carried an ark in. I can't get confidence in the battles of yesterday. I've got to keep winning battles every single day. And to somebody that's here today, I want to tell you, you've got to keep winning battles. Every day you've got to win a battle. Every day you've got to fight the fight of faith. It's an everyday battle. My final subject today. I warned some of you that it would be a little long because it's been a while since I've been in the pulpit. I told you to pack a lunch. But I'm glad to be back in here. I'm going to be here and just preach for a while. Feel God's presence. Paul, our text today. My third subject that I bring up. And I've already really covered it all. 
Oh, wretched man, that I. Verse 24, Sam of Romans. Because this is so important to me. This is New Testament. This is not Old Testament. This is post the cross. This is post the blood. This is, this is after baptism has become important. This is after spirit and filling has become relevant. This is all there. This is something that, that I can relate to Paul with because I, I've done the same thing. I've went to, I've repented of my sins. I've went to the waters of baptism, been baptized in the name of Jesus. I spoke with other tongues. I, I know I heard myself speak in a language that I didn't know. It gave me a secure certificate that says, I, 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 I've, I've got Jesus within me, but I can't get eternally secure. We talk about other people feeling like eternal, eternal security. You can't rest on eternal security just because you completed the formula. And so I, I relate to Paul so well. Not quite the author, evangelist, apostle that he is. I haven't traveled all the places that he is. Brother Wynn, maybe you have. You, you're more, much more of a traveler. But we can relate in the fact that we've had the same experiences he has. I, I love to write, write my little devotions. Thank you for reading them, even, even if they're lousy. I, I like to pretend I'm a decent writer. And I, I enjoy doing that. So I kind of feel like I relate to him with, with uh, those pastoral pens that I'm writing little things here and there. And that Paul, this great apostle, this, this evangelist that went the world, this, this great author would say, Oh, Wretched man that not I was. Was would be okay with me, wouldn't it? Wouldn't was be okay with you? Was would fit so much better there. Because I could talk about the people that he kicked in the doors and he, and he murdered and he dragged out. And people that he took to prison. People trembled of this most dangerous man in the world. Paul, he made entire regions tremble. Paul is on his way. He's coming to get Christians. And so it would have been easy for him to say, I am the most dangerous man in the world. <laughs> Wear the black. The evil guy at night. I am Terminator Paul. <laughs> And I can see that and the fear that they had of this man and all the ugliness of his life as he stood there as, as Stephen is stung on a ha ha. We are on to it. He's holding the garments of, 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 oh, he's the most dangerous man in the world. But not now, Paul. Not now. You're in church every Sunday. Paul, you, you, you're there on wind. You're involved in our, in our community events. You're doing everything. You're at prayer. Paul, you're not a dangerous man. Oh, wretched man that I am. When, Paul? Now, at this second, I am a dangerous man. Because evil is continually present in me. 
The ability to do right or wrong is both in me now. As a person in this world, you're, you're, you're conditioned to do evil. But when God comes into you, you become a dualistic person. You have good and evil. But it is a person that you give attention to. It's what you give time to that becomes relevant. And when I do not put God as the priority of my life, and I not put the things of God as the priority of my home and my family, I become the most dangerous person in the world. My eternal security, my eternal destination is at hand. I could go on. Isaiah said, oh, a man of unclean lips. But I come to a close. The most dangerous man and woman in the world is you and I. For we control where we will spend eternity. And you will spend eternity somewhere. Ashley, come this morning. I am the most dangerous person in the world. Because I am the only person that can keep myself out of heaven. I'm the only person. They can keep myself out of heaven. I don't care how bad your upbringing was. If you grew up in the worst home, in the worst situations, you're still. You can't blame mama and you can't blame daddy. And you can't blame society. God has given you an opportunity to find him on your own. If you're sitting here under my voice this morning... You have a responsibility from now until eternity to respond to this message. Until he calls you home and I don't know when that is. And you have become the most dangerous person when you reject the Lord. I don't care what your education level is. I am such a proponent of education. My son's over looking at a college this weekend. Why, why is there? But my education and my knowledge can get me so skewed away to the simplistic message of the gospel. I must be saved. I must be in a relationship. It's not enough just to fill some formula plan to go through this. That's, that's good, but that doesn't end it all. That's just the beginning of the new birth. You've got to go and say, God is my priority. You've got to say, come on, honey, we're going to the house of God. Come on, we're going to pray. Come on, you've got to fight every day. Because you're so dangerous on your own. Some would blame, blame poverty or wealth or riches. You cannot blame any of those things. There are those that are sitting here with physical, uh, physical struggles in your life. Hardships in your life. Look at Carl here. His, his, his hearing is limited. And he could use that as an excuse. But somehow God found him. So whatever excuse you want to build up here right now. And your heart's trying to build something up. I'm going to excuse myself from this message. You're the most dangerous person in the world. I've been praying this week. Because I realize that I am the most dangerous. And that this condition is the most serious condition there is. 
God, you need to hear me today. God, you've heard my prayers in this church this week. Being the most dangerous person in the world makes me in worse shape, Lord. Than that, that blind man that was, walk, that was laying by the roadside. When the apostles tried to push him away and said, stop bothering Jesus. And you heard him crying out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. I'm in worse condition than he is. I'm the most dangerous person in the world, God. All he had was blindness. He could still make it to heaven. It was a physical malady, God. And if he didn't get his healing, he could still make it to heaven. I'm in a more dangerous place than he is, God. You need to hear me. God, you know that woman that was pressing through the crowd, trying to reach the hem of your garment. She had spent all of her money. She had went to all the doctors. Nobody could help her. And when she touched the hem of your garment, virtue flow, you allowed virtue to flow through her. That was a physical malady, God. She could still make it to heaven. But Lord, if I don't have you, if you don't heal me, if you don't deliver me, if you don't change some of my ways, I'm more sick than they were. I'm the most dangerous person in the world. I can keep myself out of heaven. And that would mean I'm going to spend eternity in hell with those that are screaming and gnashing of teeth. I'm going to spend myself where there is smoke and burning and fire and calamity. I don't want to go there, God. But I need your deliverance. I need your help, God. I'm the most dangerous person in the world. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Lord, our condition is so much worse than a physical ailment. Our condition is so much worse than the temporal things of this world. Our condition is eternal. And we can become calloused and cold and indifferent to you and your calling and to your word. This morning, Lord, I am preaching to the most dangerous people in the world. And I'm asking for you one more time, God, to allow conviction to fall deep into our hearts. To break us. To humble us, God, before you. We're dangerous on our own. We're wretched. We're vile. We're incomplete. I'm dangerous when I refuse to recognize my need for you. To acknowledge it or to dismiss it. Oh, God, help us. These altars are open this morning. If you recognize your need for God, 
you recognize that you are not where you're at, I'm asking you to be bold this morning. I'm asking you to come down, not just sit in your pew or turn in your seat, but to stand up and get out of your chair and come down to this altar and come to the recognition that Job and David and Paul and so many others did. It says, without you, I am nothing. Stand with me this morning. Thank you. This message is now between you and your Savior, you and your God. Only you know how dangerous you are right now. You know where you stand. You know where your heart is. And as Ashley begins to sing, I'm asking you to come and deal with yourself.